Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18 in the New King James Version simply says this, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Skipping down to chapter 2 and verse 24, goes on and says, A man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. We've been doing some doctrinal teaching the last several weeks on Wednesday nights about the topic of the atonement and God's saving plan, but this month, and and I'm not quite sure how long, uh, we want to take a family and marriage focus approach. So tonight, what we're going to do tonight is just more or less going to be introductory, if that's okay. And then in the weeks to come, I plan on in, on us going into a little more depth in some of these topics. These are life topics, marriage and family. It's important to have the doctrinal foundation of things like the atonement and the blood and the new birth experience and, and some of the core doctrinal things that Scripture teaches us and that we ought to be obedient to. But it's also important sometimes for us to step back and just talk about life and some life topics. And there's maybe no topic that is more, uh, more familiar but presents more of a challenge than marriage and family. Amen? How many have been married for 10 years? If you've been married for 10 years, why don't you lift your hand? At least 10 years. Raise them high. What about 20 years? Keep your hands up. What about 30 years? What about 40? 40 years. What about 50 years? What about 60 years? All right, all right. 70 years, any? All right, there we go. Wow, that's great. This is an important topic, marriage and family. I I was speaking to someone before we started this evening, and I was saying that I, I think, I don't think I've ever taught about or, or, or talked about at length this topic uh, out in the adult service, in the adult Bible study uh, in this setting. I know I've addressed it somehow with the youth and young adults, uh, those that are young enough to be uh, a part of the group that was in youth group and, and young adult ministry with me uh, can probably confirm that. But I don't know that, we've ever, that I've ever uh, taken a direct approach at teaching this topic uh, I've been married for almost 12 years, so I am by no means an expert, but I am by no means uh, a novice, and so I am, not, I am not the expert, I am not the guru, I will say that I do not have all the answers, and so please don't place that expectation on me. I don't think any of you have the answer, all the answers either. Amen? All right. You guys are going to have to, I know, I know it's wet and dreary out, and I, and I know, I know, I'm going to do my best to teach, and, uh, and then we're going we're gonna to go on back to the house, because it's awfully wet. I told I told somebody earlier, uh, we're, we're gonna we're gonna teach and have ministry tonight, and the Lord's gonna move, and uh, and and we're not gonna drag our feet, <laughs> and uh, we're gonna let everybody get home safe and sound. And if the Lord tarries, there'll be a lot more Wednesday nights. And if He doesn't, uh, then it doesn't matter anyways. So, Amen. Here's the ground rules. 
for, for this topic in my mind. First ground rule is you need to know that some of the words that are going to come out of my mouth are going to be countercultural things, which is to say they're not going to be the same uh, variety of things that you hear on the news media or on social media. Uh, because what the Word of God says about these topics of marriage and family is really not being voiced anywhere else. And so it's going to feel foreign at times. It's going to feel uh, counter-cultural. There might even be some things that I say uh, that might even cross your personal practices a little bit, Uh, not for shock value, but for clarification. And I promise you that I will be in the Word. Uh, You're not going to hear my opinion. You're going to hear the Word. So uh, that's the first ground rule. The second ground rule that we, we just need to get on the same wavelength about on marriage and family topics is that I know that marriage and family uh, as, a, as a whole, there's a lot of whatabouts and what ifs. There's so many different variables. There's so many different circumstances uh, because everyone's experience is different. And, and, and I want you to know, I'm going to acknowledge and be vulnerable for a second just and tell you the reality is <laughs> I can't possibly teach about and address every single situation. There's just too many. There's too many variables. It doesn't mean that yours, whatever yours is, it doesn't mean that it's not valid. It doesn't mean that it's not real. Uh, But if I make a blanket statement at any point this week or in the next weeks to come when we're talking about these topics, if I make a blanket statement that strikes at a nerve or if I fail to nuance something uh, that reaches your level of experience, uh, please just know, I am aware, I'm not making blanket statements in order to leave anybody out, but we have to have a baseline when we're talking about this this topic. And the baseline for, for this conversation is marriage is between one man and one woman for life. And I know that's not everybody's experience, and I know there's a wide range of different experiences and variables that are at play, because life is just that way but we have to have a baseline just for the sake of having the conversation. So I want you to know that I know that and that it is not my intention to leave anybody out of any particular conversation. Uh, and, 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 and the other thing I want you to know is that I'm comfortable with dialogue and, and questions, but we can't, when, whenever we're talking, if we, get into, if we start interacting even tonight or in the weeks to come and we're in this arena, this particular topic, we can't get into hypotheticals. We can't do the what about and what if and paint a picture and then uh, try to force me to make a snap judgment <laughs> about something. That's not fair. I'm not going to go for it. And, uh, and, and if we start trending that direction, I'll just let you know, like, we need to pump the brakes because I'm not going to address a hypothetical thing. And, and, and that's just not going to be edifying for anybody. Well, I've got a handout tonight, and uh, these young li- lovely young ladies are going to help uh, hand those out. Uh, we've got a limited amount of them, so if, if you're here with somebody, you may just need to share and, and look at it together, and I'm sorry. It's such, a, uh, it's, it's such an inexact science, printing the right number of these every week. So while they're doing that, let me just go on and, and continue. And, just, and, and I'm trying to qualify everything that I can right now because I don't want to have to qualify everything I say later. Um, I can't qualify and give a disclaimer for everything about marriage and family. And I'm not even going to pretend like that's possible. So here's my, here's my other ground rule. Um, questions and dialogue are good. I'm not intimidated by that. I love to talk out loud and, and interact and, and go back and forth. Um, but I would ask this of everybody. I'm going to do this, and I'm asking if you interact and, 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 and we start talking uh, this week or in the weeks to come about this. 
Use wisdom in what is appropriate for a public setting. So let me give you an example. Uh, I am willing to talk about conflict. I'm just not willing to talk about your conflict out here in front of God and everybody, okay? I'm willing to talk about intimacy and sex. I'm not willing to talk about your sex life. There's a time and a place, but this isn't it. Uh, I'm willing to talk about money, but not your money right here in public. Negative. We're not going to do that. So just use wisdom about what's appropriate. We can have great conversations. And, and, and the, secondary, the secondary part of, of us talking about and me teaching about marriage and family is this. I believe, primarily, I believe that a lot of the substance and the content that God's Word has when we put it in a teaching setting like this, very valuable for us to talk about. Because everything that the world's throwing at us about these topics is way off base. Most of it's complete garbage. But this has a secondary effect, and, I, I, and I'm, I'm putting myself out there and, and opening up the way that I'm thinking about this. Um, this. Us talking about it in a setting like this should send the message to everybody in the church that these are things we can talk about. These are things we can talk about. These are words we can say out loud uh, to a degree. We're not going to be graphic. We're not going to be off color. We're not going to do anything that's inappropriate. But we can talk openly about these things. The Lord knows that the entire world is talking about these things. Right? The entire world is talking about what happens in the home. The entire world is talking about how a family should be structured. The entire world is talking about what goes on in their bedrooms. We're not going to be graphic. We're not going to be off color. We're not going to be inappropriate. But we have to talk about topics like this because this is life stuff. And the last thing we want is to take on a warped point of view. And the last thing we want is for the next generation coming up behind us to take on a warped point of view to where they feel like some things are taboo and can't be talked about. Because if we do that, they're going to be discipled by somebody. And if we don't do it, the world will. The world will. And so we've got, we have a responsibility to do that. So we're going to have straight, plain, straightforward, biblical discussions. So, and, and here's a mantra that I live by. To be unclear is to be unkind. We're going to be as clear as possible. Because to not be clear is to not be kind. And so as an act of kindness, we're going to be as crystal clear as possible on what the Word of God says about marriage and family. Can we do that together? All right, so here's where we're going to start. Here's where we need to start. Given that we live in the year 2023, and given that the news headlines and the political agendas and the social agendas are what they are, here's where we need to begin. Biology is a fixed category. That means if you were born a male, you are a male. And if you were born a female, then you are a female. I'll, I'm going to say it again just a different way to fit the language that's being used out there. I know how to define a woman and a man. There might be people out there that struggle with that. But if you're struggling with that, let me, let me, I'm not being, I'm not being cute right now. 
If you were born a male, then you are a man. If you were born a female, then you are a woman. The end. That's the way God designed it. Biology is fixed at birth. It's fixed at birth. It's unmovable. It doesn't change over time. It's not fluid. Marriage is between one man and one woman for life. I think we're all in agreement. I'm going to continue. Sex is only appropriate within marriage. Otherwise, it is a sin. And when children come, children are trained up by those parents, and those children are submitted to those parents. And I say that because children do not run the home. Children do not occupy the corner office. They don't dictate the preferences. They are along for the ride. (laughs) The children are not the most important people in the family. Ooh. The ones that set the agenda and set the culture and lead are the mother and the father, the husband and the wife. I think we're, I don't hear any objections, so we're going to continue. A perspective. Ooh, here we go. A prospective marriage today, somebody that's thinking of getting married, that's like, I think I want to get married to this person. Ideally, that person's marriage, your marriage needs to be blessed by God. You need to hear from the Lord about who you marry. It matters who you marry. There's maybe no decision that you're going to make in your entire life that's going to more determine your quality of life than who you marry. Right? So your marriage, your prospective marriage, before it happens, needs to be blessed by God. You need to hear from the Lord about who you're thinking about marrying. If you've got godly parents, if you have parents in the picture at all, for the most part, and again, this is one of those things that I know there's a wide range of experiences, so I'm making blanket statements. Not everyone has the same parents. But your parents can bless your marriage too. Grandparents, parents, whoever that parental figure in your life might be, it is wisdom to have them bless the marriage before it happens, while you're still thinking about it, while you're still sorting it out and trying to make decisions. That's a good thing. And last but not least... A prospective marriage should be blessed by your pastor and your spiritual authority. And that's not a modern invention. Fact is, I'm, I, I'm in a class right now, and it's called Patristics. It's about the early church, like the 100s and 200s and 300s. And so I've been read. they've had us reading all these different guys that existed back then. And they believed some stuff, and they had differences, and it, I won't bore you with all that. But I was reading one of them one day. He was a it was a bishop in some city in modern-day Turkey, and in his writings, he got to the point, he's writing a letter to a church somewhere, trying to give them direction, and he starts talking about how no one ought to get married without the permission of the, and I mean, it was hard, it was, it was hard stuff. I mean, like, it, it bristles against us, because the language he was using, I was reading it, Brother Jake, and I'm like, ooh, like, this guy, he's, you know, he's coming right down the middle, um, 
This, it's not a modern invention to seek counsel. Marriage has spiritual ramifications. Your pastor, your bishop, they're looking out for you primarily spiritually. They are your spiritual oversight. They're look, they're gonna, when you come to them with a major life decision like that, and say, you're not asking permission, you're just saying, I need counsel. I, I need, I, I'm looking for a voice in my life. I'm looking for blessing. I want to stay in the will of God. That individual is going to primarily look at it through the lens of how it's going to affect you spiritually. There's spiritual ramifications to a whole lot of major life decisions. Can I just open Pandora's box for a second and just say that nobody is trying to control anybody? but that major life stuff almost always has serious serious spiritual consequences? For instance, let's say you decide to make a financial move, whether it's a home or a large purchase of any kind, and let's say you get in over your head. Don't you think that that's going to have spiritual consequences? You're going to lose your peace, right? Right? It's going to stress you out. It's probably going to start affecting your marriage. If you're married. You see where I'm going. You see what I'm driving at. You need somebody in your life who's not just giving you relationship advice, but who's giving you spiritual advice and saying this relationship that you're looking at progressing with is not going, in its current condition might not be good for you spiritually. You need somebody who's willing to tell you that and who won't just pat you and, and push you on down the road. So you need to hear from the Lord, you need to hear from parents and elders, and you need to hear from spiritual authority like bishop or pastor. It's just, it's just good advice. And, I, and I, know that, I know we're hyper-individualistic, and I, I, I feel the tension in the room right now around that topic. So Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. This is, this is the key text. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, it says, Marriage is honorable among all. Marriage is honorable among all. That's what it says in the New King James. The more modern translations, like the English Standard Version, they make it into an imperative. And they say, let marriage be held in honor among all. And I like that too. Uh, Marriage is an honorable thing. It's an important thing. And um, it's something we should strive to do right. So let's talk about this. Let's talk about finding the right one. Finding the right one. Now, I know that a lot of you are married and... You're not looking. You're not looking for the right one. But let's talk about finding the right one, okay? Proverbs chapter 18, verse 22 says this. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. I thought the ladies would, I thought we'd have somebody jump up and start doing a backflip or something. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. I think it bears the reason that the opposite's probably true, that he who finds a good husband finds a good thing. I don't think that's, I, 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 I don't mean to go out on a limb. I think that's a, probably a pretty sturdy limb to climb out on. He who find, she who finds a good husband also finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. So let's, let's interact a little bit tonight. Can we do that? What qualities should you look for in a potential spouse? We need sage wisdom in the room to rise up right now and and contribute. What are qualities that you should look for in a potential spouse? 
Now, someone's got to go first, and just because you go first doesn't mean that you have to name the most important quality. We're not, there's not that kind of pressure. You can name any quality, and we will take it. Somebody. Brother Jake. Patience, okay? Have to love the Lord. Honesty. I'm repeating them just so that they get into the recording. Work ethic. Excellent. Anybody else? Communication skills. Very good. Loyal. Trust. Respect. Modest. That applies to all sorts of categories. Decency. Loving. We're doing good. These are excellent. There's more. Stability. I love it. These are coming from all over the room. These are excellent. If you've already answered and you've got another one, let's, let's, let's just reset. And feel free to jump in again. Giving. Giving. Generous. Giving. Right. Humble. Humble. Understanding. Good work ethic. Consider it. It's good. Uh, what about what about looks? <laughs> Nobody's concerned. We're too spiritual for all that. Hygiene. Ooh, yeah. There we go. We're getting real. Getting real. Who else? Come on. I already. I just did. The, I just did the ones that no one else wanted to say. Okay. I took. I took. I took. The, I took it. What about personality? Would you like to marry somebody who is tragically born without a personality? You want them to have a good personality. Uh, what about? What about sexual purity? Good, good, because that's a commitment that carries over into marriage too, right? We'll get to that in a minute. What about, what about people skills? What about just they treat other people the right way? No good if they treat you like a queen, but they treat everyone else like dirt. That's not good. What about... Somebody that has plans for the future, right? Somebody that has a plan. They don't have to have it all figured out. They don't have to have a God complex, but they have to have some plans for the future, right? That's, a, that's attractive. What about somebody that doesn't just, and I love, we said love the Lord. That's, that's good. But what about and I don't mean to split hairs, but what about they're spiritually growing? Like, even in the present and future tense, like they haven't just arrived and just neutralized and put it in park spiritually. I think that's a pretty attractive feature. Looks like somebody that comes to the altar. 
right? Ooh, we're, no, we're in everyone's kitchen now. What about somebody who handles money well? That helps if they're rich. But what if they're not rich and they just handle their money well? They're a good steward. Isn't that good? That's attractive. I can tell you, if they're not, then, you know, you've got trouble coming. You may not know it, but it's coming. It's coming. What about, oh, we're going to move. Oh, I mean, what about intelligence? Would you like somebody that makes you laugh, that's, 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 that's not afraid to apply themselves to something? That's a good thing, you know. That could be attractive. A sense of humor, right, right. You don't want someone who's so boring and dull and, you know, someone you can have fun with, right? Fun. There's a word we haven't used yet. Fun. So let's, let's do real talk for a minute. These, those are excellent. Those are excellent. Um, let's do real talk. Uh, this is the single person edition, okay? Um, if you're single and looking, uh, many people make a big mistake by focusing on looking for the things that we just named rather than focus on being those things. So if you're single and looking, focus more on being those things than necessarily looking for those things. If you're not working on these things, then why should they be these things? Why would, why would God send you Mrs. Right when you're Mr. Wrong? Huh? Right? Here's, here's what's on the handout. Become what you want to attract. Become what you want to attract. This is just as good preaching and teaching because this can really help you. <laughs> Become what you want to attract. So let, let, me just, let me just run a list. We're just being very, very practical, if that's all right. Before you go out, before you ask, before you go out and ask to set up a date, Ask yourself the question, would I like to take the time to get to understand this person? Here's some other questions. Do they have a job? Which is to say, are they looking for the future? Are they financially independent? Do they display commitment to anything in life? Do they follow through on tasks and projects? Or do they get something halfway done and then quit? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Do they attend a church? And do they not only attend, but do they engage in prayer, in worship, in fellowship? Yes. Yes. Correct. Right. You need to make sure you're in alignment on doctrinal issues. You need to make sure that you're both, and, and this comes out during counseling and, and premarital discussions and things when you get to that point, but before you even get to that point, you need to have made sure that you talk about some of these important topics, chief among them being, are you in alignment on essential doctrines? Right. And not only are you willing to accept it, but are you willing to live it? 
There's a difference between there's a difference between mentally accepting something as logically true and implementing it into your own life, right? Are they accountable to anyone? Is there anyone in their life that can tell them no and they will actually listen? Because why is that important, Brother Dustin? Because that's humility. That's not a person who's a doormat, who's willing, who's has a bunch of control freaks in their life. That's a person who's humble enough to hear out somebody and hear no when they need to hear no. That's humility. Here's one. Do they take their physical health seriously? Are they comfortable being themselves or are they insecure? Do they invite drama into their life? Guess what? Somebody says, there's always drama in my life. Guess what? There's that old saying, no matter where you go, there you are. Just food for thought. Let's talk about not finding the right one. Let's talk about being the right one. Can we do that for a minute? Now, being the right one should be a focus when you're single and looking. But hear me loud and clear right now. Being the right one, you don't grow out of it when you're married. Married people need to be the right one too. So let's do real talk for a second. We just got done with the single and looking crowd. Let's talk about the married crowd. Real talk. You need to stay modest in your financial and spending habits after you're married. You need to keep growing in your spiritual life after you get married. We're talking about staying, being the right one even after you're married, right? Your personal character needs to remain intact. The honesty and the virtue that won your spouse to you when they were looking for the right one and they found you, that character needs to stay intact even after you say, I do. You need to have a commitment to it always. You'll always have to continue to work on being a good communicator, right? You need to stay sexually pure when you're married. That means you're a one-woman man or a one-man woman with your spouse. In those confines, it is pure, and you need to remain sexual. Sexual purity is not something just for before marriage. It's just that when you get married... The lines change, but you still need to remain and continue to be the right person, even after you're married. And you need to be a good steward of your physical body, because it doesn't belong to you. It belongs to your spouse. Does it? Or does it not? It does. It belongs to your spouse belongs to God. 
So if you, you, can't, you can't treat your physical body like garbage. It's not fair. <laughs> not, it's, not a, it's not a fair move. You need to take care of yourself. So let's shatter a few myths. This is, this is just us pausing for a second because I've just, been, I've just been hammering for the last 10 minutes, and I know that. Let's shatter a few myths. This will, this, some of these will make you laugh, and some of these are serious. This is a, here's a myth. There's eight of them. Here's a myth, marriage myth, that your true love will automatically know what to say and do to make you happy. That is a myth. That is a myth. Here's another myth. Sleeping together or living together before marriage is the best way to find out if a marriage will work. That is a myth. That is a myth for a lot of different reasons that we can get into another time. Here's another myth. You should definitely marry someone to change them. Wrong. Another myth. Marriage is free of conflict. (laughs) You ready for another one? Here's another one. All you need is love. (laughs) Another myth. That when you get married, you know the person. You don't. You don't. You don't know if they brush their teeth in the morning or at night or ever. Every other day, every third day, you don't know. You don't know if your, if your standard of what constitutes clean matches theirs. Amen? Verily, verily. You don't know them. Not yet. But you will. You will. Here's another one. Myth. Good communication means I should always say what's on my mind. Brothers and sisters, that is not the essence of good communication. I haven't been married as long as some, but I've been married long enough to know that it is not necessary to say everything that's on your mind, and that is not the definition of good communication. Here's another one. This is the last one, and I'll stop. Having children will always improve the marriage. Just automatically, the baby comes out, and you level up in your marriage. Right? (laughs) That is nonsense. Nonsense. I've got four of them. God bless them, those sweet babies. I think I'm in the lead here at Bluff City. Four little ones in the home. Here's a rule of thumb about babies, children. Having children will magnify everything good and bad about your relationship. Children are like an accelerator. It makes you more of what you already are. Ah, 
Everyone's thinking. All the gears are turning. Like, is he right? I'm right for me. Makes you more of what you already are. All the, all the true colors start to come out. Because everyone's in survival mode. When you're in survival mode, Sister Brittany, there's nothing cute about it. The gloves come off. It's worthwhile on this first night of talking about this topic to define our terms. So let's do that. Husbands and wives. Husbands and wives. There's only one husband in the marriage, and there's only one wife in the marriage. You can't have a marriage with two husbands, and you can't have a marriage with two wives. Regardless of what label the world wants to assign to whatever that kind of relationship is, it is not a marriage. Hear me. Hear me. If you were at the business meeting on Monday night, you heard Bishop talk about there being a day that's going to come one day where people are going to get into big trouble for saying some of the things that I just said. Even our neighbors to the north in Canada, they, they imprison people. And so while it is yet legal, I'm going to say it again, no matter what language they try to attach to a homosexual relationship, it is not a marriage. A marriage is between one man and one woman. There can only be one husband. There can only be one wife. So I want to go through some of the scriptures, and that's why I've got a box on your hand. I want to go through some scriptures quickly that tell us what some of the biblical qualities are for each. Now, we spent some time a minute ago, and we said there are some things that we can look for in a spouse, and we named off things like honesty, and we named off, the, and there was a bunch of good things, and they were all valid, and they were all good. But there's some things in particular that the Bible says about a husband and that the Bible says about a wife that I want to kind of zero in on. And I don't want you to think that this is a comprehensive list. I don't want you to think these are the only qualities because they're not. But they're some of the ones that are in Scripture that seem to just repeat themselves over and over again. And so the other traits that we talked about, like, for instance, honesty and being considerate and being in alignment on core doctrines, those things are implied here. So we're assuming that those things are in place and we're looking for husband-specific and wife-specific qualities that the Bible tells us. So here's, here's one. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. I'm going to go quickly, and if, uh, if you need the, the Scripture references later, I'll, I'll, we can get them to you. But here, here they are. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7 says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding Way. That word came up earlier, understanding, understanding, in an understanding way. Colossians chapter 3, verse 19 says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25 says, Husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8 says that if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24 says, A man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So let me summarize. There's, I, I did it on five, so we keep it on one hand. I read five scriptures, and I'm going to give you five qualities, and here they are. For husbands, loving Loving and selfless. I, I, I put those together. Loving and selfless, whichever word you want to put down. That means not self-absorbed. That means considerate. Second, a leader. Not domineering, but a leader. That is a husband quality. 
understanding. Understanding. There's a lot of little offshoots we could talk about with understanding. There's patience and there's, you know, there's all kinds of little subcategories we could talk about. Understanding. Four, a provider. A provider. Maybe not the sole provider. Maybe not necessarily even the highest earner but committed and hardworking, a work ethic, a provider. And then last but not least, faithful and loyal. A husband shall leave father and mother and hold fast to his wife, faithful and loyal. Those are husband qualities. Let's look to the wives. The wives. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33 says, let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now this command appears most of all in the Bible. And a lot of times you'll see the word submit. Uh, Sometimes you'll see the word respect. It happens many times in the Bible. And just just like the same passages repeatedly tell the husbands to love and be affectionate, the same passages tell wives to respect. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, a man, same one, a man shall leave father and mother, hold fast to his wife. Proverbs 31, I will not read the whole chapter, but there's a a deep well of qualities for a virtuous woman. And the one that I would pull out of there and summarize that chapter with is this word, industrious, industrious. Remember, we're looking for a wife. We're not just saying a woman. We're talking about a wife, industrious. Titus chapter 2 says, And Paul's writing and giving this commandment. He says, train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. And Proverbs, there's two scriptures in Proverbs, and I know we're kind of doing a forced march through these scriptures. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 4, an excellent wife is the crown of her husband. But she who brings shame is like rottenness in his bones. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 14 says that the, a wife's quarreling is a continual dripping of rain. A quarreling wife is like that water dripping out of a faucet or out of your roof. And I know that says it in the negative, but consider what it means in the, in the positive. And I'll get to that here in just a second. So let's, let's, let's look at what those five are. Same Five again for wives. We did five for husbands. Let's do five for wives. Respectful. Over and over again in the Bible. Faithful and loyal. Industrious, which is to say, not a busybody. Industrious. Fourth, standard bearer passage I read from Titus, Titus chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, if you wrote that down, when I say standard bearer, it names off a list of things that they are to teach the young women to be, and then that phrase at the end sums it all up and gives us the why, and it says that the word of God may not be reviled, which is to say, ladies, wives, you're the standard bearer. Your consecration, your Behavior, your conduct, and your life is the standard for your home. It protects the credibility of God's word and the credibility of our witness as the church. 
You're the standard bearer. And then fifth, I didn't know how else to say this, so I'll probably be laying awake at night, and I'll probably think of a word that fits better. This is what I could come up with, Brother Jake. A steward of the atmosphere, a keeper of the atmosphere. And here's what that means. That script, the scriptures I read from Proverbs about a wife, an excellent wife is the crown to her husband. But she who brings shame is like rottenness in his bones, and a wife's quarreling is like the constant dripping of water. Ladies, wives, you set, you set the atmosphere. You set the atmosphere. Is it going to be a joyous, peaceful place? Is it going to be a miserable, not harmonious place? You've got tremendous power. You've got power. That's the power that wives have. And that's the and Scripture acknowledges it and calls us to a high place where we can enrich each other's lives. So <clears throat> here's some questions to ask. This is, this is where we're going to end up landing tonight because we're, we're, we're teaching, we're being practical, and we're looking at marriage and family. Questions to ask. Now, when I say these questions, whether you're single and looking or whether you're married, you might need to morph these a little bit to fit your station in life, and I'm just going to have to let you be creative enough to do that. So if you're single and looking, it's good to ask these questions about yourself, and it's good to ask these questions through the lens of looking for a potential spouse. If you're married already... It's good to ask these questions just about yourself because you're not looking. (laughs) You're already married. You're already there. Remember, we don't try to change the other person. We gotta, just us, okay? Just us. So these are just helpful questions, and I I hope I'm not boring you. Does this person follow through on their word? For somebody that's single or somebody that's married, do I follow through on my word? Talking about finding the right person and being the right person. Do I follow through on my word? Does the person I'm looking for and looking at, do they follow through on their word? Does this person make me stronger? Is this person hardworking? Is this person, with Bob mentioned it, generous and hospitable? An excellent question. You need to know the answer to it. If you're looking, if you've got somebody in mind, a potential person, you need to know the answer to that question. Is this person wise and eager to help others? Does this person truly love the Lord? Are they truly in alignment with what I believe Scripture teaches about life and doctrine and salvation? Are they a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ? Are they a disciple? Are they a church attender or are they a disciple? How have they handled, this is important, think about this. How has this person handled areas of their life that came into conflict with the teaching of God's word? Did they change? Did they change themselves to get into alignment with what God's word says? Or did they go on about their business? You need to know the answer to that question. If you're looking, you need to know the answer to that question if you want to be the right person too. Talking to married people too. 
Here's some other questions. Who do they admire? What is she willing to change? What is he willing to change? Whose favor do they most desire? There's nothing, I don't know if there's a, (laughs) I don't know if there's many more forces in life more powerful than the power of expectation. And if somebody has an expectation, who, who, who are they trying to please the most? Who do they really want to feel good about them? Answer the question for yourself, too. Whose favor are you most pursuing? How is that shaping your identity and who you are as a person? Is he or she willing to spend time with God alone? What does he or she long to know more than anything else? What does he or she yearn for? What animates them? What drives them? What gets them up in the morning? What pushes them forward? Whose voice does he trust? Or she trust? What is she willing to do in order to keep growing? What is he willing to stop doing in order to keep growing? What environment is he most comfortable in? What environment is she most, what environment are you most comfortable in? Why is this important, Brother Dustin? It's important for a lot of reasons. But maybe if we were looking for the the big one, the biggest one of all, it's because the Word of God says that marriage is a picture of Jesus' relationship with his church. And so our marriages and our relationships and even how we're pursuing them is a reflection and part of our witness to the world. Because the most, I think the most vivid picture in the entire New Testament that paints the picture for us of Jesus and his bride, the church, is the picture of marriage. It's the analogy that the word of God returns to time and time and time and time again. Let's all stand tonight. I've made you endure some, some uh, probably uncomfortable questions and probably a lot of things that maybe provoked you to thought This is an important topic. God wants us to do it right. We sang about it. Whether you realized it or not, we sang about it together. Lord, I want to live the way you want me to live. I want to be the way you want me to be. If I would offer two words in closing tonight before we pray, it would be these two words. This is for everybody. Don't settle. Don't settle. If you're single and looking, don't settle for less than what you're worth. If you're married, don't settle for being less than the spouse that you should be. Be the best husband. Be the best wife. Here's some homework. You've got your hand out still, or maybe you want to type it into your phone. Take a look at these two parts of of the Bible. It won't take you any time at all to read. And just, and just do this with me. Look to God's word for definitions of what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman. 
what it means to be a husband and a wife. Not to culture, but to the word of God. Here's the two places that you can find it. You can find it a lot of places in God's word, but I'm going to direct you to two places. Proverbs chapter 31. Proverbs chapter 31 is where you will see the word of God telling us what a virtuous woman is like. It's a very good chapter. You'll also find a picture of a virtuous man, but it's not in the book of Proverbs. It's in the book of Job. The book of Job, chapters 29, 30, and 31, is a good rendering of a virtuous man. Now, I need to warn you that the book of Job does not read like the book of Proverbs. I don't know how familiar you are with the book of Job. The only similarity between Proverbs and Job is that they're both wisdom literature in the Bible. The book of Proverbs is proverbial. It reads like Proverbs, like little sayings. The book of Job is a disaster story of a guy who is virtuous but loses everything. And in those chapters that I named to you, 29, 30, and 31, it is a narrative. It is not Proverbs. It's not going to read the same. It's not going to feel the same. And you're going to have to dig a little maybe beneath surface level, but there's gold under there. There's diamonds under there. And it will tell you, it will paint a picture for you of some of the qualities that you can look for in a virtuous man. Here's what we need to do. We need to pray uh, to dismiss tonight. But before we do, I want to pray over you.